about four years in, I essentially went to my boss and kind of with no coaching or anything with my tail kind of between my legs, just kind of like, (laughs) I think I've done a good job. And I think I got like a two or 3% raise on top of what I normally get, which was great, but it it still wasn't really this big event where it was like, you're changing jobs and it's a 20% raise or 30% or whatever. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We hope you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that is unapologetically you and then go get it. If you feel like you were meant for more and you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. If you consider yourself a high performer, you might know that you bring value to your organization. You also might know that you'd really like to be paid more than what you're currently making. If you're in the situation where you really actually quite like your job, but you're a little scared of rocking the boat, how do you go about asking for a raise? How do you begin? How do you do it in a way that is actually going to allow you to get what you want, maybe even more than what you wanted? Overall, I think it it'll ultimately turn into about a 20% raise over the next few years. So salary-wise, it was about a 12% raise. And then my other other forms of compensation will um, roll in over the next few years, and that'll be another 8 or 9%. So it's, it was awesome. definitely well worth the effort. That's Justin. He's a technical engineer who came to us for help when he really wanted to negotiate a raise with his current company. See, he'd been approached by recruiters with other companies, but he really just wanted to stay with his current organization. He didn't really want to make a transition, but he knew that if he went to work for a different company, he could greatly increase his salary. He also knew that if he brought his company a competing offer, he could probably get a raise. So he didn't want to go through all that. He didn't want to play those games because he honestly wanted to just stay at that same organization. The question was, how do you do that? How do you have that conversation? How do you ask for a raise that he knew that he deserved and that he had earned, but he was scared to do it? So he found himself in quite the predicament. Okay, as you heard right before this, Justin ended up receiving a 20% raise overall with his current company. Listen to how he built up the confidence to ask for the raise and what specific tactics and language he used to negotiate without a competing offer and how he ended up receiving a larger raise than what he thought he wanted initially. So I've been with the company I've I've worked at for almost 10 years. Yeah. And I've changed jobs twice before that. You know, so I worked somewhere for two years and then I worked somewhere for about four years. And now I've been here for 10 years. And normally those events where you have the large pay increase are when you have two companies that are sort of fighting over you. That's when you see these big 10, 20% pay increases. And after 10 years, I kind of felt like, hey, this is really time for me to to look into this, but I don't really want to change jobs. I'm I'm pretty happy where I'm at. But I know if I went and found another job, I might get a pay increase. 
And I, and I had already done that once at my current job. About four years in, I essentially went to my boss and kind of with no coaching or anything with my tail kind of between my legs, just kind of like, <laughs> I think I've done a good job. And I think I got like a two or 3% raise on top of what I normally get, which was great, but it, it still wasn't really this big event where it was, oh, like you're changing jobs and it's a 20% raise or 30% or whatever. And I was contacted by a recruiter about another local job a few months before I contacted you guys. And we kind of went down the path of, of talking about the job and talking about pay and the benefits. And I guess for a little bit more backstory, like I, I have a pretty good pay and compensation package for where I live. Like it's normally recruiters will come talk to me and then I'll tell them what it would take to get me to leave. And they're like, oh, I can't touch that. So it's not like I was underpaid going into this process. Yeah. It was just that there aren't a whole lot of people in the area that, that do what I do. And I knew that I could probably make more if I had another job offer. So while talking to the recruiter, I was like, well, I'm, I'll go interview, I'll go down this route. But in the back of my head, I was like, I don't really want this job. Like, I really just want a job offer so I can go in and, and renegotiate with my current job. And that kind of led me down the path of all the things you think about, like, is this the right way to do this? Like, are they going to look at me different? What if they just say, okay, thank you. Like, what we're not going to renegotiate. Then I have to say, Oh, well, I was just kidding anyway. <laughs> uh, Sorry, April fools. <laughs> right. So that kind of prompted me to, to contact you guys. I think I, I kicked it off with just an email, you know, cause I'd listened to the podcast before and it's like, Hey, like, here's my situation. Like I have a recruiter that's talking to me. The job is interesting. I wouldn't be, upset if I ended up doing it, you know, after 10 years, it'd be nice for a change. But at the same time, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. Really, I just want a good reason to, to renegotiate. And then we kind of went through all the, the ways we can handle that and ended up not pursuing the recruiter more. And uh, just well, let me ask you about that part. I think that's <laughs> yeah. something that as I remember, some of the email exchanges you had with myself and our team, and one of the things that you were, I'll say, hesitant about is most of the time, with the exception of this one recruiter, most of the time, you had gotten the response of, wow, we can't even touch that, which you said earlier, right? And it seemed like that colored a little bit of whether or not this type of renegotiation was even possible. So tell me a little bit about how that, how that went in your head and what were some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, well... It's interesting because I work at a company that is is pretty healthy financially. Like they could they could afford to pay me whatever they wanted to pay me essentially. And so that's where I kind of came up with the thought of okay, well, I would be hard to replace in this area. It wouldn't be impossible, but it it take them a while to find somebody and also bring them up to speed with nearly a decades experience and and knowledge and everything that's that's pretty that's pretty valuable in any industry especially in in an industry like where the turnaround seems to be a lot 
you know, most tech jobs, you see people, I've looked at resumes and people move around a lot. Like two to three years is like max people ever stay somewhere. You're like a dinosaur if you stay three and a half years. Right. That's what it seems like, which is crazy to me because it seems like just the first year is just trying to figure out how the heck everything works. And then the second year is just trying to implement that. And then after that, you can finally start to really contribute. But my background is both hardware and software and like really, really low level, like firmware, mm-hmm. which not a whole lot of people do all of those. So normally you have to have a, a hardware guy who designs things and then you have to have the software or the firmware guy who sort of makes the pins do what they're supposed to do. And those two people have to work really closely to say, make things happen. And to have one person that sort of understands both worlds really well and can kind of leverage little tricks on one side that the other side might not see, that's, that's really valuable if you need it. It's not something that, everybody, that every company needs, but if you're developing these really like high-tech products, then that's, that's definitely like something that's worth keeping that person around. If you Absolutely. And it seems like there are a couple of elements here that created a lot of value for the organization. And I, w- I almost look at this every time we are helping someone negotiate in any situation, we're looking at what are the value creators or what are the assets here? What are the things that the organization would not want to give up? Whether someone's just starting a new role or whether they've been in a role. In, in your case, I think you know what stood out to me as we initially talked to you it was that you already had a great relationship with your boss and your boss's boss and even your boss's boss's boss. And those were already in existence and solid. You already had a track record of performance. In your case, it was longer than most because you'd been with the company for a while. But you know that's something else that has to be there for this to work. It's almost like a prerequisite for everything else to happen afterwards. And right. you did such a great job with those two pieces that I knew that for you, it would be very possible to have these types of, of conversations that would lead to some of your goals with changing your salary without having to go and, as you said, go get the other job. Yeah. So my long-term goal is to retire early. So hopefully in six or eight years, I'll have saved enough money to just sort of draw what they call a 4% rule and live a life where I'm not sort of chained to my desk and I can work if I want to work and not work if I don't want to work. But just being that I'm sort of a third of the way down this path, I've got a little bit of money saved up. One of the terms that people use is FU money. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's sort of the, and it's different for everybody, but you know, for me right now, I have enough money to where if they just fired me today, I could probably be okay for two or three years. And that's not really what I want to do, but having that sort of in my back pocket really helped, I feel like, because I'm not fearful of losing my job. Like if I lost my job, I know I would be okay. I would know I would find another job at some point, even if it took me a year, like I would be financially okay. And that was really powerful because I feel like a lot of people sort of put a lot of weight on their job. And if they don't have good savings, then 
they take the wrong attitude, I guess, with their employer. They're very thankful to have their employer and they're not really looking at it from the opposite end of like my employer should be really thankful for having me. And so it's hard to think about it that way for many people, but two things that you, maybe three things actually that you called out, I think are really almost critical in this type of situation. One thing that I can't agree with more that people don't really think about or spend a lot of time talking about is that if you have done a great job saving any kind of emergency money, whether you call it FU money or anything else, and you have any kind of cash, that causes you to make different decisions. It causes you to take... Well, I wouldn't even call what you... I mean, there is some risk to what you did, no doubt. However, it causes you to be able to make different decisions and assess risk differently, which is, I think is something that because you had done such a great job putting money away and, and taking care of yourself financially, it caused you to be able to make different types of decisions and look at things differently. But the other piece too is you did a really great job with being able to take an otherwise great situation and recognize that there is opportunity to do do something different and begin to even even question that and having that mindset that you mentioned where it's like hey they they're they're lucky to have me in this case i think that's really very very helpful to begin to question what might happen differently so nice job on one hand. And then two, I know we're going to get in and talk about like what actually happened, but I think those are two pieces that allowed everything else to happen that are undervalued when people look at this. Yeah. And like I said, like probably about four or five years ago, I went in and, and asked for a raise. I mean, my heart was pounding. I was nervous. And this was much different because I was prepared and I... I was prepared for anything. Like if I didn't get the response I wanted, or if they just said, you know what? We don't think you were doing as well as you thought you were doing. Like you're fired. (laughs) I wouldn't be. (laughs) Like I was prepared for any of that. And I guess not removing the fear of failing was the really key in all this. Just because it wasn't really the case where if I did fail, then well... I'd lose my house and my car and my kids would, wouldn't be able to go to college. And it, it, would, it would be a little setback, but I knew I was prepared and ready, ready for anything. And this is so interesting because I think that in most of these cases where we've worked with people and been on one end or the other, or in cases where I've gone and done this myself or members of our team have gone and done this and we're in the first hand sitting in the chair, it's so rare that that is going to happen. What you just described about, hey, I'm going to go in and ask. And they're just going to say no. And on top of no, they're going to remove opportunities from me, like my job. Like that is something that just rarely, rarely happens. And you'd have to have to really, really ask in an offensive way or for something terrible to be going on at the organization at the same time or in your boss's life for it to result in that. It's just so unlikely. That said, right. still still possible. And that tiny little bit of possibility. Uh, rare, but, but people, like, I know people who, when I mentioned, I'm going to ask for a raise or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, oh, like, why would you ever try to rock the boat? And 
just human psychology is, is interesting because if, if you're not prepared for that emergency, then it, it always feels like it is just impending doom. So that's, that's really interesting. It sounds like you, as you were having conversations about that, you got some of some responses like, oh my goodness, why would you rock the boat? Did you get any other types of responses as you were talking with others about your, your plans to ask for a raise or renegotiate? Yeah. I mean, I had kind of responses all over. I mean, I, I hadn't really spread the word a whole lot, but I mentioned it to another guy I work with and he was pretty confident I would get a raise, maybe not necessarily what I was asking for, which we didn't really talk numbers exactly. But, you know, kind of like the first time I went in, he was like, yeah, you could probably get like another two or 3% on top of what you normally get, which is kind of the the way to appease someone and make them go away, raise like, okay, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for asking. Don't talk to me about it anymore. (laughs) But it it definitely was interesting to kind of evaluate how everybody looked at the job market and how people respond to just trying to determine their market value. Like that, that was interesting to me especially in, you know, I'm in the Midwest. So relatively to the whole US, my salary is, looks like it's like I'm way underpaid, but in the Midwest, the cost of living is so low, like it's actually pretty top tier. For that particular area. Yeah. Well, and I think the great news that you and I spoke about along the way is that it's no longer, even, even if you live in the Midwest or you live in, say, I live in Moses Lake, Washington, where cost of living is very, very, very exceptionally low in many different ways. And even if you live in one of those two places, then you are no longer required to work from one of those two places, which opens up the possibilities and opens up who, who employers are competing against for talent, essentially, in many yeah, different ways. That was, that was really kind of key in, in the proposal and what we came up with was that was really focusing on the fact that, hey, like companies and on the West Coast are hiring people from all over the world because everybody's working at home right now. And that's, that seems to be the way the market's moving just in general. Even after things kind of get back to normal and quarantines and COVID isn't really a big concern anymore, hopefully later on this year. <laughs> then uh, a lot of people are still going to be able to work remote. And, and that's, that's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Rises the job market. So as you think back to the beginning of this process, what were some of the biggest questions that you had or concerns that you had going into this process where you were trying to think about like, how do I even do this? How do I approach this, especially in a different way than what you had done four or five years ago, where you got the the paltry, here's a, let me throw you a bone type raise two or 3%. Right. I think the the biggest struggle I had was trying to decide whether I should go have another job offer in hand or not, because I felt like I was a really good negotiator, but only if I was holding all the chips. And the only way I could picture myself as holding all the chips is if I had this other offer in my hand and I was like, Hey, look, like I can leave today and go make this at this other company. It took a lot of coaching for me to kind of realize, wait a minute, like 
I'm already holding the chips. I just have to know how to use them. And I have to convince myself that I, I could go get this somewhere else, even without an offer in hand, which in the long run, I think worked a lot better than if I actually were to get a job offer. Like, I, I feel like we did the right thing just because, you know, we talked a lot about going into the negotiation as a partnership with your boss. And, and that was really beneficial. Because if I were to just run in and say, look, this company down the street's going to pay me 15% more, you know, give me more than that, or I'm going to leave. It's a very standoffish attitude that, that both parties are taking. Your boss feels cornered and, and then you might get looked at differently. I don't know. There was a lot that even though that's sort of the way the market normally handles it, it just didn't feel right to me. So I really like the approach of going in and saying, like, look, here, here's what I could make. And you and I both know I'm qualified for all these jobs. And here's what I want. So how can we make this happen together? So I don't have to go look for another job. And I don't have to come in here with the job offer to wave in your face and threaten you with. <laughs> like, I think everybody appreciated that approach more. I think the... As you're sharing, hey, here's some of the question, biggest questions that I had. One thing that stood out to me when we started interacting with you and trying to understand some of your goals and how what you might be asking for throughout the process of negotiating an increase would tie into your long-term goals and the ways that you wanted to do it. The biggest thing that stood out to me is you're really uncomfortable with this idea that you mentioned of going and getting the job only to negotiate an increase. Like that seemed out of your normal integrity, like the way that you live everything, the rest of your life, like that was just like totally implicitly outside it. And that seemed like the only reason you were considering it is it what it felt like you had to do. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? Yep. I think it depends a lot on your organization. The last company I worked for, I definitely felt like they made me counter offers for me to stay. And, and then I ended up not staying because I did feel like, Hey, like they're, they're trying to get me to stay right now, but they're going to push me out as soon as they can, or I'm going to be looked at differently. And I think it depends a lot on just the, the dynamics of the organization and, and how they treat people. I don't necessarily feel like that would be the case where I am right now. Just because it's a bigger company and finances and people are sort of more removed. The previous company I was with was a smaller company. So if the CEO is agreeing to a raise, that's like a dollar out of his pocket. So it's more, they're more directly seeing the, the hit of finances on them personally. Justin, when you think about this process and you think about the work that you did to be able to make this happen, for yourself and with this organization, what were some of the first things that you remember doing as we went through the process with you? Well, the biggest thing was you being so convincing that I could go get another job somewhere else and then going and looking and seeing what other jobs are available. You told me to spend like an hour I probably spent like 10 or 12 hours <laughs> over the course of a, a couple of weeks. But, you know, it, 
it was nice because in the process of looking for other jobs, which it's hard to find job postings that actually list salaries, right? And yeah. so, you know, just by default, most of the jobs don't list a salary, but just the ones that did list the salary publicly, you know, I was able to find a dozen jobs that that paid significantly more than what I made now that were remote and also things that would be interesting for me to do. Maybe not necessarily at you always take a gamble when you when you change companies because you don't really know the health of the company and whether it's going to be around in 10 years or two years or three years, which was what I was trying to avoid by not changing jobs. Is it's like I know I'm at a job where I've been there almost a decade. I could be there for another decade easily if I wanted to, but just convincing myself that these jobs are out there and I could go get them right now, that was really probably the biggest step. Because once I got that mindset that, hey, like I could go get one of these jobs today or it'd take a little while to go through the interview process and everything, but these jobs are are available. That was kind of when the game changed. And then you kept pushing me, you know, because I, I think I, I came out with what I was going to ask for. And it was, it was, I think about, 15% or so more than what I what I made. And you kind of kept pushing me up. And I think we finally landed on about 20% more because <laughs> you kept kind of nudging me to say, hey, ask for more. <laughs> like you can get it. <laughs> that that was definitely um, eye-opening, I guess. Was that an uncomfortable part of the process for you? A little bit, yeah. Because you you want to ask a number that doesn't seem crazy. And, and you want to ask a number that you know, one is is beneficial to you because that's that's ultimately why you're asking for a raise is because this is how I'm compensated for the job I do. But two, you don't want to ask a number that's so high that they just kind of laugh at you and and kind of dismiss it as whatever. Like that's impossible. But I think the the way we kind of structured the ask and the documentation and everything to go with it really really helped kind of drive that home. But it, it definitely was like uncomfortable trying to decide what to ask for. It's easy when you have an offer in hand from another company, you say, hey, look, like they're offering me 10% more. You can either match that or you can go more. Like it's not really in your hands. You're just saying, this is what I could get with this other job offer. Like not having that offer in my hands, like definitely made it uncomfortable. What helped you be able to move through the process? Let's just for really helping bring everybody else into this process really quick. If we were to divide this into steps, step one for you really was about let's figure out what your assets are, right? And we talked a little bit about that earlier, but you did you have such a great relationship with with your everyone who has a vested interest with you there already. You have this track record of success. And on top of all of this, you have a variety of experiences and skill sets that just are a very unique combination. And I think lots of people have these, but don't necessarily realize it. But in your particular case, you acknowledge that like you get sort of the software and hardware side and everything in between that makes it jive together. But then step two for you was really about okay, what is the strategy for how we go about asking 
And it really made sense for you to not involve other jobs in the process because that was outside of your integrity and do so in a way that was very much inside of your integrity and figure out what's the game plan and strategy for how we're going to do that. And I think you and I had decided that it would be a series of conversations where you approach it from, hey, I could go and do this. I could go and get another job, but I respect you too much to be able to make that. Like you could go and do that and waste everybody's time when my goal is to stay here in the first place. Right. right. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is the truth. That's basically just, it just boils down to figuring out how to, to word that in a way that gets their attention, that gets their attention the same, the same way you having another job offer would anyway, because so I'm trying to think the most, the most powerful thing in this whole process, I feel yeah. like, was when we sort of decided what to do is, so my steps to kind of backtrack a little bit. So I came up with a proposal for compensation and, and then you kind of ripped it all up and said, hey, <laughs> like move this around and change this and do all this. And so after a few iterations of, of back and forth with you, you know, we had a pretty decent multi-page proposal in hand. And then the fact that I simply called my boss and said, Hey, like I have something that's really, really important to me to talk to you about. And I'd like to do that in person sometime in the next three or four days. You have time on Thursday or Friday. I think it was a Thursday ultimately, but I called him on Monday and I didn't tell him anything else. And then, and he didn't really pry, but setting the conversation up like that, I feel like was really powerful because I feel like it flipped who was nervous. Like, <laughs> it did. Right. Because normally I would go in and say, Hey, can I, you know, I'd like a raise and I'd have done a really good job. And, and I'd be the one whose heart was pounding and who was nervous. And when I went in on Thursday and met with, with my boss, I was you know, slightly nervous leading into it, but not nearly as nervous as I was before. I could tell he was just waiting for me to hand in my resignation. And I could see the look of relief on his face when all I did was ask for a 20% raise, which was like amazing because normally <laughs> you would say that and they'd be like 20%, like whatever. <laughs> but for him to sort of sit back and and I know that he also talked to his boss and they sort of already knew something was up and we were meeting for an important reason. But but for them to sit there and think, okay, well, like he's probably handing in his resignation or he has another job offer for a few days, it kind of puts them in that mindset of, oh, like this is what it really could be like if he did leave framing the conversation where I was not the nervous one really like, I feel like that was probably the most important thing out of this whole process. I think that's really interesting and powerful. And without getting into every element of the psychology that we use with that particular strategy, which is not right for every single person under the sun, but I think it really, really was very effective here because it did, it put them in that emotional state where they had to consider one <laughs> that 
it's a possibility that something could be disrupted here. And then they run through all the things in their mind about what that could be. Now, the unfortunate part is you don't really get to control any of the thoughts that go through their head. And in this case, that was actually helpful to the process. I would never recommend inflicting pain on people for manipulative purposes, but it allowed you to be transparent with what was going on here in all the ways that you could leading up to it while still being helpful to the process, both for them and for you. Consequently, it also initiated them to start planning, well, what could we do in the background without you even having to ask? So overall, I think it was really very, very good. The other thing it is it did that might not be obvious here is it opens them up when you come and say, hey, I want to approach this as a partnership. I really want us to figure out together like how we could make this possible. How could we get me towards this 20%? What would it take in asking those types of questions? Now they're open to it in a completely different way than what they might've been if you just showed up randomly on a normal Tuesday and said, hey, so uh, can I talk to you about a raise? That'd be cool. Completely, completely different. Yeah. Um, what anything else that as you think about this process for what worked really effectively for you or what helped make it easier for you that stood out for you? Another one of the things was, and it, it's going to be different for everybody, but for me in particular, I could pretty easily trace back some ideas and things that we've implemented over the past over the past few years and actually put a dollar figure on some of those, not necessarily to say like, Hey, like, look, I saved the company $1 million. Therefore I want you to pay me 900,000 of that, you know, but, but for me to actually look at it and say like, Whoa, like this idea actually did save the company a million dollars. And this other idea, you know, saved the company another $500,000. Like it definitely made it, easier for me to sort of convince me of my worth in the process because these were all ideas that I'm pretty confident if I wasn't working there that that nobody else would have necessarily came up with them maybe a few of them but but I mean for the most part these are these are sort of things that that they handed me to work on they were like okay well here's how we think you should do it and then as I got into it, I was like, well, wait a minute, if we do it like this, we can save a dollar or whatever. And that really helped. And I was able to put that in the proposal as well and saying, hey, like XYZ idea saved the company this amount of money. And it, it really did help me to kind of justify to say, hey, look, your ROI is fantastic no matter how you slice it. It's unequivocal. <laughs> What's interesting is so many people are in that position and just don't even realize it. What, as I'm listening to you recount this story here, what's really standing out, maybe even more than it ever has before, even though this is something of like me and my team have done a lot, is that most of what made this work on the side for your employer or on the side for you is about psychology. It's those things that got you to realize how much you were actually worth. It's those things that got your employer to be open to talking about this in a different way than they might've. It's all of those little psychological pieces rather than the proposal. I mean, the proposal, you did a great job in the proposal. When we 
ended it, it was still like what I would say far from perfect. It was a really good proposal, but it was still far from perfect. We could have spent, I don't know, 20 or 50 more hours on it to really get the tiny last little bits into perfection, right? But really those didn't actually matter. It was much more about those other pieces of the process. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, being able to word things in the sense that made my boss feel like we were going to work on this problem together versus just saying, give me this or I'm leaving, you know, that saying, give me this raise or I'm going to leave, it puts everybody in a standoffish mode. And that's not really the best place for everybody to be at, but being able to word it as look like I'm qualified for all these other jobs and I could go get them today, but I don't want to, like, I want to say here, you know, here's what I'd like to get paid in order for me to stop looking at all these other job offers and jobs that are available. Here, here's what I want in order for me to continue with my career here and sort of stop focusing on other opportunities. And how can we make that happen together? Like that was, that was really powerful because it, like you said earlier, like it puts them in problem solving mode and it, it sort of takes the threat away, it, it, which is you never want people to feel like they're cornered and they need to do this or else because that, that just that's just not a great way to approach you, to approach any anything in life. It doesn't always feel very good either if you if you do yeah. uh, in the situations where I have done that in the past and even if the result has been good, it doesn't feel good in the end too. Yeah, exactly. Justin, what as you think about this. For someone else who's in a similar situation to you, where they've got a pretty decent track record of performance and they have a great relationship with their boss or the other people who have a vested interest in their success, what advice would you give them if they're interested in renegotiating their compensation, whether it be salary or anything else? You and I had also even talked about something we didn't spend a lot of time talking about here, but like how to work in things like additional time off and other pieces of of your total comp package too. But what advice would you give that person who is thinking about that now? The biggest advice I would I would say is to look at how hard it is for your employer to replace you and if that's if that's the sort of situation where it's going to be really really hard for them to find somebody that can put on all the all the hats and and take on the roles that you take on then step two would be looking at at other jobs and sort of learning about what's available on the market because the market ultimately kind of dictates what what everyone is worth. But at the same time, if you're at you're if you're at an organization and they just really love you and they really, really want you to stay, just be prepared when you ask. Like put put all this information together actually write it down instead of just sort of going in and asking for a raise, actually write it down. Even if you don't present it, write it down just so you can organize your thoughts. And that way, when you do actually go in and ask, you can actually sort of be in a position of preparation. And like we already mentioned several times, ask in a way that makes it a problem to solve, not necessarily a threat, but a problem that you and your boss can work on together. So maybe they can't give you a raise instantly, 
or maybe they can't give you the more time off instantly or, or whatever it is you're seeking, but at least they know that this is something that's important to you. So down the road, if that becomes an option, then they know that it's something that you would want. I, th- I think that's great advice. It puts you in a different different position, even if it doesn't happen right away for you. It puts you in a completely different position than what you were in before, which then that creates building blocks or stair steps or foundation to be able to have other conversations, which is amazing. And for you, it it happened. (laughs) It happened quicker. You and I, before we started recording here, we were just talking about it, it happened quicker than what we what we thought it would. You and I had a conversation that, hey, this normally might be a like six to 12 month process. And how, how long did it take you from beginning to end? What, tell me a little bit about what were, and if we're looking back on this process, what were the results and the timelines that, that you got out of this? Right. So I pitched it to my boss first and then actually immediately pitched it to my boss's boss because he kind of already knew what was going on, or at least knew something was up. And so I, so I pitched it twice. The first time was better. (laughs) (laughs) Back to back is always like, Oh, I already did this. (laughs) And then after that, they both took it to people above them. And then the next day I talked to my boss and, and he basically said, Hey, like, we had conversation with my boss's boss's boss, and it, it was positive. But we want kind of, we kind of want to have more information about how you came up with this number that you're asking for. And so I kind of had the weekend to put together not really another proposal, but just some data, putting together all the job offers that that I had, or the not job offers, but job postings that I had seen and their salary ranges and links to all of those. And then kind of calculating an average of that and then saying, okay, well, the benefits where I work are a little better. So we're not going to quite ask for this number. We're going to ask for a little bit less. And so it was a very calculated way of saying, hey, this is what I'm asking for. And this is exactly why I'm asking for it. It's not just a number I pulled out of a hat, but here's the math of how I got there. So we had that I had that conversation with my boss, I think the next Monday, Monday or Tuesday. And then on, I think it was that Thursday, maybe it was Friday. So ultimately it was a week turnaround. And then they sat me down and it was pretty close to what I asked for. I mean, it, it was basically what I asked for just in a different form. Part of it was, part of it was salary. And then and then the other part was was um, some stock options that that take a few years to vest. So it it's not, it won't necessarily be an instant sort of raise, but I know that over the course of the next few years, I'll I'll get to where to where I asked for. But yeah, and the and the other part I wanted to mention was, and maybe this is speculative on my end. I feel like it really like highlights to them that. I'm not afraid to ask for what I'm worth. And so maybe down the road, if I if if it does come to the point where, okay, three or four more years from now, it's time to ask for a little bit more of a raise, 
maybe I won't need to even do that. Maybe they'll just know, hey, <laughs> like we better, we, we need to make sure this guy's happy because he'll make a 12 page proposal <laughs> and we'll have to go through all this again. <laughs> it changes how people treat you. It's, yeah. So this is, we talk a lot on the podcast about drawing boundaries and setting boundaries and expectations and almost training, training the people that you work with on how to treat you and, you know, what is within and outside your boundaries. And this is another example of drawing those boundaries, like having difficult conversation to be able to help people understand and train them on how to treat you. Yeah, definitely. You did such a great job. I just want to one say, I know I sent you a, a text that said, congratulations, or maybe it was an email, but again, now being able to chat, congratulations again, you did fantastic working through what is and can be pretty uncomfortable set of actions. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think I really could have done it without, without your coaching and everything. So thank you. You're very welcome. And with our last minute or so here. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Um, the biggest thing that you could really, that I took away from this process was knowing that you don't need another job offer to actually sort of have leverage. Like leverage could be anything at any time. And even the word leverage is kind of used as a negative, I feel like in some, at some times. It's not really that that you're being greedy. You're just asking for what you're worth because ultimately you're probably working at your job to make money. Hopefully you like what you do at the same time, but hopefully you're also getting paid what you're worth at the same at the same time because that's why people work. So not not being afraid to ask for a raise or do your homework and 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 asking for what you're worth. I mean that's that was my biggest takeaway from this whole process. It's like I mentioned earlier, like I, I would be super comfortable if I had another job offer and I was like, Hey, like walk in the door and here's my other offer. Like, if you want me to stay, you, like, you better beat that. But that didn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It's, it's easier, but sometimes the right way to do it is not the easy way in many different cases is what I've found over, over life. Justin, may we share either the percentages or amounts that you got for increase? Yeah. Overall, I think it, it'll ultimately turn into about a 20% raise over the next few years. So salary-wise, it was about a 12% raise. and then. My other other forms of compensation will will um, roll in over the next few years, and that'll be another eight or nine percent. So it's That's it awesome. was definitely well worth the effort. How, roughly, how much time do you think you put into the process? Oh my goodness! Just estimate, uh, gross estimate. Curious. Probably sixty to seventy hours over the course of of a month or two. So it was a lot of weekends. I would spend a few hours in the morning and the afternoon. And I even, I kind of sat my kids down and because they were like, what are you working on? <laughs> like, why are you always have this Word document open and you're typing in it? And <laughs> what are you uh, doing, dad? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, hopefully it was a learning process for them too, because I was like, well, like I have a job. I, I 
feel like I could get a raise if I asked for one. So I'm trying to put together a way to ask for that. Of course, they're, they're young, so they don't necessarily, they can't really relate to that problem directly, but but maybe one day they'll be like, yeah, but I remember my, <laughs> my dad uh, asking for a raise and, and doing that. I think that'll benefit them so much though, not to get too far down that path, but I really believe and have seen a lot of evidence that because they have seen you do it and because they have seen it be possible, that many of the obstacles that both you and I have faced when going and asking for increases or negotiating increases, it might not be there in the same way for them because they understand that it's possible on a different level. So that's pretty awesome that you did that and took the time to share it with them too. Good. You get total dad points. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the next generation. Hopefully it'll be better. <laughs> You might have already figured out that one of the biggest reasons people never get what they want is simply because they don't ask. In our book, Happen to Your Career, an unconventional approach to career change and meaningful work, we have an entire chapter dedicated to learning to thrive in your career with specific examples on how to ask for things you want and need out of your role. You can start thriving at work as soon as tomorrow. You just need to know where to start. So pause this right now and go download our book, Happen to Your Career on Audible or wherever you get your books. You can download it and be listening to it or reading it and getting started on thriving in your work in literally seconds. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically, even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios, I'm out.